For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. What is up, Wizards fans? Welcome to another Believe in Wizards podcast. As always, I'm your host, Matt Moderno. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for everybody who's listened, rated, reviewed, subscribed, all that good stuff, told a friend. We always appreciate that. And it seems like we're gaining steam this offseason, so hopefully we can take that momentum and the Wizards can take that momentum into a productive 2022-2023 season. We'll see. Obviously, a lot of that depends on the draft, which we're going to talk about a lot here today. We've got NBC Sports Washington's Chase Hughes coming on. Tommy Shepard just spoke to the media, so we're going to get into his comments, what we can take away from that, what we think that means for draft night, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, speaking of the draft, the Wizards Summer League team will play on Saturday, July 9th at 6 p.m. Eastern against the Pistons. It's obviously the Vegas Summer League, so these are in Vegas. Keep that in mind. Sunday, 7.10 at 5.30 p.m. against Phoenix. Wednesday, 7.13 at 6 p.m. against New Orleans. Friday, 7.15 at 9 p.m. against the Pacers. And then the playoff games, based on how they do in that pool play, uh, start on the 16th, which is a Saturday. So I will be there for games on the 9th and 10th. So if you're going to be in Vegas uh, that sort of second weekend in July, let me know. We'll get together. We'll watch some Wizards games. Should be fun. And hopefully that this draft pick is somebody we're all excited about. And there's a good turnout and the team looks good and all good things. It's not sort of typical how play things play out for the Wizards, but you know we'll see. We'll hope for the best. Again, we're going to get to our combo with uh, Chase here in just a minute. But first, this word from our sponsors, Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball championship finals, the NHL hockey conference finals, Major League Baseball, and the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEF, B-L-E-A-V, to get the bonus and get in on the action. Bet online, where the game starts. Okay, let's get to my combo with Chase Hughes. All right, I'm pleased to be bringing in Chase Hughes of NBC Sports Washington. Chase, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, this is fun. I still owe you a Larry appearance at some point, so we'll have to do that during the, uh, during the actual season here when he gets ramped back up. <laughs> I just wanted to talk a little bit here out of the gate. Tommy Shepard just spoke to the uh, to the media and had some interesting comments, I think, for fans. And I think the first one here was just kind of struck me as a little bit interesting wording wise. He said he feels that Bradley Beal is much closer to the player he was two years ago than the player we saw last season. But we just heard from Brad that he just started playing and shooting again in like the last week. So it, it seems weird to me that Tommy could sort of make that comment uh, in good faith already. Is, is there more to that? Maybe like uh, what's your, what's your read on his comments there, I guess. 
Well, to be honest, I agree with them um, because Bradley Beal last year, he only played 40 games and he battled uh, a lot of adversity. I mean, some injuries. He was on in COVID protocols twice. Uh, he lost his grandmother. I think that affected him a lot more than we realize. And so the sample size of that season is just a lot smaller than the sample size of him being one of the best scorers in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. Now, he's so far removed at this point from being a 40% three-point shooter that I've kind of given up on thinking, oh, you know, Bradley Beal, the guy who was basically Clay Thompson for the first few years of his career, he is likely, if he stays healthy, to be a top scorer with pretty decent efficiency. So I, I think that's what Tom Shepard meant. You know, he mentioned that he was the, the top scorer in the league. I think he meant the Eastern Conference, but it was two straight years, right? He scored 30 points a game, two straight years. And then all of a sudden he dropped off a cliff uh, with one season. I don't, I personally agree with him and that I don't think we should make too much of just the, the downturn in numbers that we saw last year. That's not what they're seeing from him right now, first week or so out of the gates. That's what we expect to see from him this upcoming season then, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's an important distinction. I think uh, when he hasn't shot the ball since February, that means since his wrist injury, he had said that he shot the day before it was like his first on court workouts, but basically he's rusty. It's the time of the year when he would, when he would be rusty and especially coming off a surgery like that in a long layoff. Yeah, that that makes sense. We also heard him talk about uh, that, that Brad's been one of their best defenders for the last several years. I don't know that the eye test necessarily bears that out. Maybe there are some metrics that, that point to that. What's sort of your thoughts on on Brad? You know, last season we heard him say that he wanted to eventually make an all-defense team, and I, I didn't really see the same effort maybe after like game six or seven, but where, where do you expect him to be defensively this year, I guess? Yeah, I kind of see Brad's defense is similar to his three-point shooting, where it's like we've seen enough of his career to where I think we know what he is, and he's a great offensive player when he's healthy. Um, it's it's funny. Tommy seems to agree with Wes Sunsell Jr., who kind of holds on to what we saw maybe early in Brad's career on the defensive end. Um, but the more that his career has transpired, I think you see that he's a little undersized for his position. And maybe if he had a really good defensive point guard next to him mm-hmm. and a really good defensive small forward next to him and specifically some size and length at those positions and, you know, maybe a point guard who stops the ball. If basically if less was asked of him defensively, yep. maybe he could shine on that end. But I think now that he's entering his age 29 season, he's played 10 years in the league. I see him as a very good to great offensive player. And hopefully you can build a defensive structure around him. I wouldn't say he's like a a big liability on that end, but when you leave him out on an island against Jason Tatum, as we've seen, uh, oftentimes it doesn't go too well. That's sort of the lingering one, I think, in everybody's minds when you think about Brad defensively. Like the effort was clearly there, but it's just there. You know, even Brad said it, there's a six inch height difference. Like that's that's pretty tough to make up for. Yeah. And I gave him credit for taking on that challenge. But, um, you know, at some point, you know, maybe the coach needs to step in and be like, hey, we're going to put this other guy on there who's a little bit closer in size. Yeah. I mean, that that's a that's a team issue, not a Brad issue at that point. Right. Too. And right. I, I think you made a great point, too. Like when we saw Brad at his best defensively, it was sort of prime John Wall as a defensive player and next to Trevor Ariza and, and guys like that that sort of helped, you know, maybe mask some of those those deficiencies. For sure. And, you know, they've got some some pieces now. They've got some rim protection behind them, but they don't have that ball stopping point guard. Yep. They've got decent wing defenders, I guess, because KCP is pretty good. But like they don't have, uh, you know, a Trevor Ariza at this point. So, yeah, it, he, he has to do more than he had to do back in those days. 
I think that's a perfect segue into some of Tommy's other comments about needing to improve the defense and wanting to add, quote, more dogs. And I think looking at the list of guys that they've worked out, like there's a lot of defensive minded guys on that list, not not a wing player, but Mark Williams is an elite paint defender. You've got Blake Wesley that sort of profiles as a good point of attack defender. Eventually, Dyson Daniels, Ochai Baji, Marcham Bochamp, Tari Eason, Johnny Davis, Jeremy Sohan, although didn't fully work out. But like, it seems like they're targeting somebody that's going to add some value on the defensive end. Does that seem fair? I think they have to. I mean, they had the 25th ranked defense last year. I think shooting needs to be a big consideration as well. I mean, how many time, how many players can you bring in? who can't shoot or need to develop as shooters Mm -hmm. or who aren't uh, at least average defenders. Like you can have a few of those guys on your roster, but you know, to build a winning team, you got to have a good defense. Uh, You look at the, the four teams that were left in the conference finals this year, all of them had top six ranked defenses. You look at the, uh, all the title teams of the last 10 years. I think the worst defense was the warriors in 2017, 18, and they were ranked 11th. And defensive rating. And then if you look at the postseason numbers, they had the number one defense in the in the playoffs that year. So you basically can't win without a good defense. So uh, I think there's a lot of different ways they can help their defense. Like, um, you know, there's a you see a lot of pushback from fans when you mock when you put in a mock draft, a player to them that's not a guard or specifically not a point guard. But like Atari Eason could help. I mean, he's a, if he's as tough of a wing defender and as versatile as of a wing defender is he's projected to be like maybe a Jeremy Grant type. Of course, that guy could find minutes in the Wizards rotation. And like, so so I think Dyson Daniels probably checks off the most boxes of all those players, but I don't think he's going to be there at 10. But as you mentioned, they're going to have some options. I think Um, Matherin might not be there as well. He's not known as like a great defender, but I think that competitive mentality is definitely there. So I think that they're going to have some options and, um, you know, there's, there's just going to be some redundancy if they pick a guy who can't defend and can't shoot. And we've heard Tommy say the last couple off seasons that he wanted to add shooting and athleticism and, and, you know, some of those guys track, but it's, it's when you get to 10, you start to get the guys that are a little more one dimensional, maybe, or more skewed sort of one end or the other. Uh, I'd be interested to see on draft night, kind of who that best blend of the two are and Tommy talked about also today that you know they're going to take the best player available at 10 that they're not worried about position that it's just going to be the guy that adds the most value to that team I I mean to me I I think they could they could fill a need at realistically any position right I mean and if you have some redundancies at power forward I think maybe you take care of that closer to the trade deadline or something if you needed to yeah you, you have to go best player available I mean these guys are so young. You're really trying to project what they're going to be in three, four, five years. And it's just what the smart organizations do. Like, look at the Warriors. Where would they have been this year without Jordan Poole? Yep. And they drafted him, um, I think, three years ago. Uh, they had not just we, – we've always known as them, them as the best shooting backcourt in NBA history, Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson. They're the best backcourt in NBA history, right? I mean, I think Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars were probably considered previously as the best backcourt. Um, if you could just consider, consider having two Hall of Fame players. Um, and they drafted Jordan Poole. Um, a lot of people would have said they didn't need a guard, and now they look really smart for picking him. The Blazers uh, did a similar thing with Anthony Simons, right? They had Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, and um, it's worked out really well for them. 
And, you know, you look at Bradley Beal in his age, you know, going to his age 29 season, say you picked a shooting guard. Well, that guy will probably be entering his prime right as Bradley Beal's exiting his. And, you know, you look at their situation just a few years ago. Uh, they had John Wall. They had Bradley Beal. Um, well, they would look really smart right now if they had taken a point guard somewhere along the way or even a shooting guard. Right. Yeah. You know, like a, a Tyrese Halliburton, just for instance, in 2020. He he would look really nice on this roster at the moment. So you got to go best player available. Um, I, I think even for a team that has a player of Beal's age and wants to win now, you got to be thinking about the future because, um, you know, there, there was a really good quote, I thought, from Raphael Stone of the Houston Rockets. He, he, he was asked about fit, and he said that um, he's not too worried about overlapping skill sets if they are – if those players are good at those things, like, you know, there's, you know, too much, too much shooting or too many good guards or, or forwards or whatever, but he does worry about overlapping weaknesses. Exactly. You can't have too many overlapping weaknesses. So I, yeah, as far as the, the talent goes and the best player available, I definitely think that's the best way to go. And you made a couple of really great points in there too. And I think just looking at people like Simons and pool, those were late first round picks and they still weren't scared to kind of go for positions that maybe air quotes weren't, weren't need. And then you look at, at what the Wizards have done, and it's just it's a little harder to kind of pull out the trends from them on what they've been trying to do, what they're you know really going for. And uh, Tommy also talked about you know we could move up, we could move down, uh, but as he looks at it, they're selecting at ten. Although basically saying like the you know he's been on the phones, they'll keep their options open. I guess where do you expect them to ultimately pick on draft night? Do you buy the notion of picking fourth overall and and trading to go all in? Uh, where where do you kind of see this playing out? I guess. I think it's most likely they just stay at ten. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's second most likely that they trade back. I think trading up is just a really interesting idea to me because if you look at the recent asking prices for that type of deal, it's a lot. Like mm-hmm. in uh, I guess it would be 2019 the Hawks and the Pelicans struck a trade. I think the Pelicans and Hawks, it was the fourth and the eighth pick. And essentially it was this complicated trade, but it amounted to three first round picks to go up from eight to four. So if you're trying to go from 10 to four, it's going to be something in that ballpark. I love Jaden Ivey as a prospect. I think I could make the case. He's the second best player in this draft behind Jabari Smith Jr. I think in some years he'd be considered to be the number one overall pick, but he's 20 years old and ultimately he's an unproven commodity. Um, so if you bring him in, um, you, you're going to give up a lot to get him. And also at only 20 years old, does his competitive timeline match up with Bradley Beals? I question that. And if you look at the asking price, three first round picks and say, you know, it's another player because you're going from 10 to four instead of eight to four. That's probably in the ballpark of what you would trade to get an established star. So if you look at what, where Bradley Beal is and sort of the natural urgency the Wizards are going to have with their best player making potentially a Supermax contract at 29 years old, it makes a lot more sense to me to take that exact same package and try to trade it for a star in his prime. Um, Just as an example, Rudy Gobert or Donovan Mitchell, I think if you brought either of those guys in, there's some redundancy right now in the roster. I don't think Gobert and Porzingis could even play together, right? You might have to use Porzingis to match the money. Mitchell and Beal, they overlap as well, but Either of those guys, I think, gets you into the second round in the East and in the conversation for the conference finals, especially Gobert, Beal and Gobert. Like Gobert's kind of up there in age. I'd rather have Mitchell because of his his age. He's only 25. But you're probably winning a minimum 45 games, and you're you're potentially going further than this franchise has been in a long time. 
Ivy offers no such guarantees. And even if he is a superstar, it might take a few years. So I think I'd much rather trade that package for a star than to move up to number four. If the guy you had one on your board or something somehow drops to four, then I'm sort of more inclined to be like, hey, all right, this is too big of an opportunity for us to pass up. But I think I'm totally with you there too. Like if that's not your goal as an organization, like if your goal is, you know, what, what we're building toward is a team that can make at least the second round in the playoffs and then see where we go from there. Then I, I think trading for somebody more established makes sense. And the thing I kind of found interesting about Tommy's quotes today is just, it, it sort of got the salesy vibe going on here again, right? Like there's a little bit of contradiction. He's talked a lot about not afraid to make big swings, but then today he said, you know, big swings means that you have to gut the roster. And he's not saying he wouldn't do that, but he doesn't necessarily want to gut the roster. So I found that kind of interesting as like tempering expectations, potentially maybe like, Hey, we're not totally out on doing that, but the price has to be right. So that kind of got me out of the, Hey, this is even realistic that we trade up to four uh, mindset. Did you get a similar vibe from him of sort of like trying to tamper expectations a little bit there? I don't know about that. I think his goal and the goal of uh, people in his position in these types of press conferences is always uh, twofold. One is to express confidence and sure. uh, express the idea that they know exactly what they're doing, no matter what the circumstances are. Um, you know that they're not surprised by anything, essentially. And second, to float enough possibilities to where you don't really know what direction they're going to go. Sure. You know, uh, th- yeah, exactly. They've been linked to potentially trading up to number four. They've been linked to maybe trading that pick for a point guard, which I don't think would be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, I can I'll say that right now. Uh, and and Tommy should know that better than anyone, having been in the front office when they traded the fifth pick to the Timberwolves. We all know who was picked a, a few <sighs> spots later. Yep. But and then he goes out there and says, yeah, we, we could probably trade back and still get something similar. So those are literally he covered all three bases of potential trades if you're going to use that pick. Right. So it, it, it basically left me, you know, without a, a specific idea of it, he didn't really show his cards in any direction. Now, I did think it was really interesting that he said he wasn't afraid to trade the 10th pick essentially out of the draft, knowing that next year's pick could go to the Thunder. That's the John Wall, Russell Westbrook uh, first round pick. The the protections begin next year. If the Wizards make the playoffs, it's only top 14 protected. So that was interesting to me because you could end up having two straight years where, where you trade your first round pick in the context of giving Bradley Beal a supermax deal, which is 35% of the salary cap. Like you have to have cheap contracts to offset mm-hmm. that. And the best way to get that is in the first round because you're taking a first round pick. The guy's making a rookie salary for four years. He's under team control and they present upside and the potential to far outweigh the value of that contract. So that was interesting to me, but ultimately I don't, I don't think he suggested it either way, whether he's willing to take a big swing or afraid to take a big swing. But I do think at some point, what he has called big swings, you know, you can definitely swing a little bit bigger than he has. Uh, you know, Russell Westbrook, that deal, I think, check that that represented that in my mind. I don't know if the Porzingis deal does. He 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 mentioned hiring West Outsell Jr. as a big swing. So I, it, it was a lot of words, and um, I think he said, "You know it when you see it." I think fans would know it when they saw it. Yeah, I agree. I, I think something you just touched on there kind of 
got the gears turning here a little bit about the cheap contracts. And that's something that maybe we didn't have a lot of during the sort of tail end of the Ernie Grunfeld era, where like those cheap guys kind of didn't stick around. If you give up this year's pick and next year's pick, and presumably the team does better with a healthy Beal, healthy Porzingis, another year of Kuzma, the cupboard could be pretty bare for me, for young guys like moving forward if you don't choose to re-sign people like Rui or, or Denny longer term. Let's say the Beal contract doesn't age particularly well. That doesn't leave you in a very good position in like 2025 or 2026 if um, you don't find a way to get some sort of cheap additional talent in there. Yeah, and I think the way that Tommy Shepard has operated has been sort of guarding against the way they operated before, right? He's kept the first round picks, and I think that's a big reason why. And a lot of the way that they've operated in the draft, I think, is interesting to compare to what they did in previous eras. Like the the players that they've drafted recently, Rui, Denny, and Kispert in particular, and and, and even before that, like a Troy Brown Jr. have been uh, apparent guys with apparent high floors mm-hmm. who are high character guys who are smart uh, players, basketball IQ wise. It's kind of like the opposite of the JaVel McGee, Nick, Nick Young, Young, Jordan Crawford era. Yeah. And in terms of the character, it's the opposite of it's kind of guarding against what happened with Gilbert Arenas and Javaris Crittenton. Like, you know, that they have looked for a certain prototype in that regard. And I think it'll be interesting to see which direction they go in this draft. Do they take a little bit more of a chance on, you know, say it's a Benedict Matherin, who I, I don't see any character concerns at all, but um, he's the he's a different type of prospect in that he's so enticing athletically, but it's going to depend on the feel for the game and sort of the intangibles that, you know, maybe you 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 feel like you had in Corey Kispert and, and Rui Hachimura to maybe a certain degree and, and Denny Avdia. So I, 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 I always... I think it's it's interesting to see the moves they make and and how different it is from just 10 years ago and wonder if that's by design. I've looked at a lot of what Tommy's done so far is just sort of like digging them out of the hole that they may have been in previously. Like most of those moves have just sort of been the like reset the deck, I feel like. And to me, this draft is sort of the first reflection of like, okay, now we see where like Tommy wants to go with this team and what he wants to do with it. And and I think maybe. Um, doing something kind of different with this pick, like the the trade down late in the first round last year, I, I don't kind of consider the same thing with like your secondary pick. But if he can flip ten into two later first round picks or something, um, I think that might be a little bit of a, a shift from from what we've seen from him. And he just said, I guess today, or this is at least how I interpret it, that he has like five guys that he thinks will all still be available. Uh, at 10 that are at the top of their board. Did I, did I get that right? And and is that the vibe you got from him that maybe there are some guys there that are not reaches are necessarily the word for it, but like that they're worried about these are our guys kind of regardless of where they fall, like with popular consensus. Yeah. I think he's got an idea of the range uh, that they're going to be picking in, in terms of their board, but it's always difficult to predict. And this year might be less predictable than usual. Mm-hmm. Like in 2020, uh, they had Denny Avdia rated very highly. I, mean, I think he he was definitely in the top five. I think he was like their third or fourth top ranked prospect. And they tried to trade up to the Bulls at four when they picked Patrick Williams to get him. And they didn't. And then they thought he was going to go to the Knicks right ahead of them. And he didn't. And he fell to them. So they it was basically like a no-brainer. Like he was so high on their board, they took him. Had to, yeah. um, Tyrese Halliburton also fell that year, you know? So you just never know. I wonder who could fall this year to, to that point where it's like, 
Um, he's high on the Wizards board, and it's like if they get to 10, there's just no pat, no way they can pass him up. Like, you know, maybe AJ Griffin. That's the or, one I was just going to suggest to you. It seems like the one that maybe the medical scares somebody enough that he falls a little bit. Yeah, or, you know, Shaden Sharp. I don't know. Maybe the talent is too hard to pass up. I do think Dyson Daniels is like, if I had to pick one player where it's like, I don't think he's getting past 10, I think it's Dyson Daniels because uh, he does just so many things that they need. And I, from all accounts, I've heard from multiple people, he was really impressive in their workout. Like mm-hmm. he shot the ball well. He, you know, performed uh, better athletically than, you know, his reputation that preceded him. So I think Dyson Daniels is the biggest no brainer for them. But as I said earlier, I don't think he's going to be there at 10. Um, but I, someone's going to fall, right? It just uh, it, I th- that some, ha- happens fairly often. And I think the, the makeup of this draft suggests someone's going to fall. And maybe they'll fall all the way to 10. You know, I just did a mock draft uh, for the Grizzlies website and AJ Griffin was there. So I took him. I was like, you know, I, I know the medical history, but he played every game last year at Duke. Uh, he's a 45% three-point shooter. He's got the athletic upside that I think they need on the roster. He's got the, I think he's got the motor on both ends that they need. So yeah, if he fell, I would totally take him if I were the Wizards. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I guess we've talked a lot about, like, moving up and, and only just sort of talking about four, but you mentioned somebody like Dyson Daniels that could realistically be in play at seven or eight. And the Blazers seem like a team that could definitely use sort of a veteran win now guy. Is there any possibility of moving up a little bit uh, that, you know, the price maybe isn't as steep to try to give up, you know, somebody with some, some value to a team like the Blazers to get up to seven. And maybe you get either Matherin or Daniels or somebody just like a few picks higher. I think that's definitely possible. I mean, they they definitely like Dyson Daniels, and um, he is, as I've said, kind of like tailored for what they need. I mean, yeah. the only thing he doesn't do at a high level is shoot from three. But um, like I said, he he exceeded expectations in the workout as a shooter. And also, I think people sleep on the fact that if you are a good passer, a creative passer, you can draw the defense, you can throw accurate passes, um, you can lift everyone around you in that regard, right? Because you can create high percentage shots. So. I think Daniels, yeah, would be the player to watch for them to trade up for. Um, the Pelicans, I, f- I feel like they would have a lot of interest in in a guy like him. Same. But also they've made so many draft picks in recent years. like, and, and we saw how they might be a little bit closer than we thought to competing in the play-in tournament. So maybe you know with Zion coming back, uh, it would behoove them to trade that pick or at least trade back to 10 and they can still get a good player and maybe pick up a veteran that can help them now. Um, The asking price is a little bit more difficult to decipher when it comes to like trading from 10 to eight. Sure. Um, I think like Dario Saric, for instance, one time was, was what it required. I think for uh, it was like the Suns and the the Timberwolves and it was moving up a few spots. It was kind of like a similar deal to what the wizards would try to, to make Um, the, the Blazers are interesting because I'm sure they were pretty disappointed with how the lottery went, but they've got Dame. It's kind of like where the wizards are, but their roster 
they need they need a lot of help. So it's a, it's a th- weird group of people. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird group of people, and um, so they're they're a tough tough team to kind of nail down in that regard. But I, I do think, yeah, it's definitely possible they trade up a few spots, and I, I think D- Dyson Daniels would be the guy that makes the most sense there. We've heard not necessarily from Tommy, but from other members of the front office slash scouting department that they are looking at players that produced this last year that they actually saw on court production from and they weren't necessarily maybe worried about the shooting so much that's a skill that they thought they could help a player develop and then we talk about things like big swings to me like a shade and sharp is a big swing if he's on the board at 10 and some of those other guys are off do you think there's any like scenario where they take someone like sharp Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I personally would be much more inclined to take him around 10 or especially yeah. if I was a thunder, if he got to 12, I, mm-hmm. I would take him. I, I don't think I would take him at fifth or sixth. Like if I were the, the Pistons or the Pacers, like too risky, too risky. Yeah. And um, he, you know, his camp, then his, his kind of leaked these reports of he wants like a team that'll take the long view um so that that makes me think that even they realize that he's not you know able to compete and make an impact right away that'd be tough for the wizards i mean i uh, he he would check off the box and that i think they need upside like just general young upside i think all the players that they've drafted recently are good players are gonna have long successful careers but the path to stardom you know yeah, it isn't really there maybe for denny because he's he's so big for his skill set so I think it would make sense in, in that's in that way, but um I'm yeah, that's that's a tough one. I, I uh I, I could I could see them doing that, but you also have to factor in, you know, I know Tommy just got a contract extension, but he's been on the job for three years now. I wonder, you know, how he views his own job security and and being able to take a risk like that. Um, but he's super talented, man. I mean, he might be like a Vince Carter type athlete. Uh, I don't know what happened at Kentucky. Unfortunately, you know, he did his pre-draft press conference recently. He didn't really add any clarity to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I had to give you an answer, I think I'd be inclined to, to pass on him and go with someone else. It just doesn't seem to, the math doesn't seem to check out with what they've done thus far under Tommy, which again, maybe he could depart from, from that. To me, if it's him and Johnny Davis on the board, I would imagine they go somebody like Johnny Davis that seems to fit with the rest of of kind of what they've said so far. Yeah. I mean, well, Johnny Davis is a very uh, similar draft pick to what they've made in recent years. I feel like, you know, high floor ceiling, you know, a lot of things would have to break the right way for him to be a good player. 30% three point shooting. That would really worry me for a team that was 30th and three point shooting. Mm -hmm. I'd probably go sharp over. I I would go sharp over Johnny Davis if given the choice for them. I I personally would too. I, I think it's just, the, like you said, the path to stardom with him makes more sense to me than it does some of the other guys in this range. Like I can't see a world where Jeremy Sohan is a multi-time all-star, but mm-hmm. what Sharp does, I think sort of, you know, it, it that's what all-stars look like, right? Like if it's um, a less, uh, less wiggly version of Anthony Edwards or something uh, that, you know, I, I think that that, that looks like what an NBA all-star uh, can bring you. So to me, I, I think they could use enough talent infusion here that I would swing as big as humanly possible. Yeah. I mean, the stars in the NBA, like they can uh, sometimes, you know, guys, guys who aren't the most athletic or the biggest for their position, they can be really good players, but you look at that all-star team and everyone's like either 
got a size advantage or an athletic advantage over everyone else at their position. And then, you know, you have to fill in the gaps. Of course, that's very important, but like you kind of have to start there. If you're a betting man here, Chase, which I don't know if you are or not, but like if you had to guess, <laughs> where do they pick on draft night and who is sort of the most realistic option of the names that are out there? If I were to bet, and I'm not a betting man on sports, I find sports to be, um, I, I find like watching games more fun when I don't have money on because I, I just want to enjoy the buzzer beater, whoever less stress. makes the shot. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, exactly. Less stress. So I don't even fill out a bracket anymore or play fantasy football. But if I had to bet, I think they stay at 10. And I th- I'm going to say they pick Tari Eason. I think I'll go with Tari Eason. Um, I think he's a decent shooter, not a great shooter. He's a potential to be a really good defender. I think he could impact them right away and also present some long-term upside. So assuming Daniels and Matherin are gone, uh, I think Tar Eason makes some sense, but um, Abaji had a, a good workout from what I understand. And um, I could see it being him. Yeah, but I'll, I'll go with Tar Eason. I think that checks all the other things they've said too. We've heard some stuff about diamond in the rough, not that Tari's an unknown, but he's not sort of the consensus top 10 guy. He would most likely be available at 10 unless he wowed some other front obvious front office, obviously, but it just, it makes sense. The dog comment applies to him, I think. And uh, he's got sort of the tools that they could stand to use. And like I said, if they've talked about not being worried about improving somebody's shooting, I think that maybe they have more confidence in, in what they can develop with him than others. I, I like that. I actually think that makes that makes a lot of sense. Any other guys that you've heard that they've worked out with, maybe that weren't on the list of names that they've had or guys that they've interviewed or talked to that that we haven't heard maybe as widely reported so far? So I, I believe they brought in Shaden Sharp. Um, I don't okay. I don't know if he worked out, but I think he'd been in contact with them. Um, so I think. I had, you know, it's like I heard that and I heard it from like two people. So I'm pretty sure it happened, but I, I don't know the extent of, you know, what the visit was like um, or, um, you know, what setting it was. But I do believe they've had some contact with Shade and Sharp that, you know, hasn't really been out there. So um, there's probably been some workouts that we haven't heard about, some like actual workouts yeah, because that's what I was wondering. That seems to happen every year. And I don't know, uh, you know, usually you can kind of piece things together right now because you're talking to these players in their pre-draft press conferences. And like, for instance, last year, Corey Kispert had one of those secret workouts, but, you know, he he mentioned that he had worked out for them. Um, that's happened in the past. So I'm assuming whoever they draft, we're going to find out the full extent of the contact they were in with that guy, uh, you know, once it's all said and done. I had heard recently that they got some FaceTime with Benedict Matherin at the Combine and got to kind of do a separate interview there. So I was wondering if maybe there'd been some follow-up with him or, or somebody like that too. No, yeah, he t- he said during his pre-draft press conference, he did interview with the Wizards, um, but no, he did not make a visit. Um, you know, his, his agents were keeping everything pretty uh, secret in terms of where he was visiting, and but he was pretty forthcoming when we talked to him in the pre-draft press conference. And he said there were only three teams and it was Indiana, Portland and New Orleans. I think it was basically like the six, seven, eight range, Makes sense. Um, which I thought was interesting because, you know, usually uh, if you're only working out for three teams, it's oftentimes the very top players who only do that because they know that they got a guarantee they're not going past three. Like I think Victor Oladipo 
2013, he didn't work out for the Wizards, right? Because he was pretty confident he was going, he was going to the top, top two. Picks. <laughs> yeah, and also they had uh, Beal and Wall at the time. Um, so I don't know, maybe Matherin uh, falls down, but um, yeah, when you watch that guy's film, as I know you have, like it, it didn't make sense. Like in February and March when mock drafts had him as like the 15th pick, it was like, yeah. someone's what, what are teams missing? Like this guy, you know, he's not a slam dunk star, but it looks like he should be at least a top seven pick. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but Rui never worked out for the Wizards prior to them drafting him, right? Like they had talked to him and and seen him a bunch with their Gonzaga ties, but they'd never actually had him in, right? As, as best I can remember, yeah, I don't think they had him in. But yeah, they they, they had done plenty of, of research on him and had interviewed him and everything like that, yeah. I had posited on this show a couple of times that uh, the Tommy Lloyd, Tommy Shepard connection might um, make them, you know, sort of have increased familiarity with Benedict Matherin just because of that former Gonzaga tie. So maybe that's somebody that they don't feel they need to work out because they've seen a lot of him and, and have kind of a close line or close relationship with people around him. Yeah. It's also, you know, ultimately up to the player and the agent, whether they'll, uh, well, they'll, whether they'll fly out, uh, you know, the 10th pick, maybe Matherin just, is pretty confident he's not going to fall that far. So what's the point? It was kind of interesting, honestly, Dyson Daniels, I think, you know, that it was on the schedule very early and he ended up honoring the workout. Um, And I think he worked out for the Knicks as well, who were picking 11th. But by the time he worked out for the Wizards, it was kind of like, is this guy even going to be there? I mean, Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's probably going to be a top eight pick at this point, but you never know. And, uh, you know, he has impressed a lot of teams in the workouts, but, um, he could fall on draft night. So, uh, you know, maybe good on him, I guess, for not canceling workouts and kind of, you know, going throughout the process. I respect that. Um, last question and a half here, Chase. I'll <laughs> I'll promise I'll let you out here. Uh, Blake Wesley, Jean Montero, the overtime elite, Ty Ty Washington, Marjon Beauchamp and Jaden Hardy are kind of guys that were maybe back half of the first round level prospects that they've brought in for workouts. And, and I know that they liked Isaiah Todd in their workout last year and ultimately made some moves to get him and, you know, ended up with another first round pick. Any of those guys that you've heard about their workout specifically and, and how it went that might be a name if they did trade back, that that might be somebody that, you know, popped from one of those workouts or something like that. Well, Ty Ty was hurt and right. we talked to him afterwards and, you know, he said that he bang knees in the workout. But from what I've heard since is that he didn't really be able, he wasn't really able to go through the workout at all. Like I think he came into it with the injury or it happened very early in the workout. So I don't think they saw much of him. Okay. Um, Bochamp, uh, I believe had a, a pretty good workout. I heard positive things about it. He wasn't making very many shots afterwards. You know, when we put those videos up, it's, it's funny. Everyone kind of dissects them. But you got to keep in mind that the Wizards, um, for whatever reason, put these guys through like they run them into the the ground, right? Yeah, they run them into the ground. And then anyone who's ever shot a basketball knows, like if your legs are tired, it's going to affect you. So obviously that's part of the reason why they put them through that test. But I don't put too much into him missing the shots. I think they they saw a lot of potential for him uh, as a two way player. Jaden Hardy shot the ball really well in his workout. And I think they like him. So um, if I had to pick between those players, even though he didn't really get to participate in the workout. I think it, I would say Ty Ty Washington, just because he is a point guard yeah. and, you know, as much as he's become a bit of a, a controversial prospect, just in the sense that like some people love him, some people hate him. Um, and he, he kind of came up short in some games and people really magnified that. 
he still looks like he's going to be a good NBA player. Like when you watch his film, like his touch around the rim, his, his feel for uh, making plays off the dribble and, and dissecting elite floater too. elite floater. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> He, he looks to me like he's going to be potentially like a Tyrese Maxey or, an, you know, maybe a little less than that, like Emmanuel quickly. I know it's the Kentucky comp there, but I think he's going to be a pretty good pro and I wouldn't pick him 10th, you know, but if you move back to 17th, like it's a trade with the Rockets, you can definitely justify taking him there. So I'd have, I'd have to go with Ty Ty just because of the position. I'm with you. I think at 20, it's a lot more of a favorable reaction from people than it would be at 10. Uh, I know during the G League season that Jaden Hardy was unvaccinated. I don't know if that's still a concern for the wizards or not, or if we've heard even what that might look like um, for, for players, I guess, into next season, do you know anything more about like what the wizards player vaccination status needs to look like for next year? I'm not even sure where we're at with that anymore. No, I I don't think it's a factor anymore because like, even, you know, we saw Kyrie Irving, like, you know, kind of made it through the other side, I guess. Um, So I don't, I don't think it's a concern. I, I actually didn't know that about him. But yeah, certainly if this was going into last season, then it would have been a much bigger deal. Again, that was during the season. I don't know if that's still the case, but I'm kind of like, we're in the world now where like COVID things have to be on your radar, at least a little bit with some of these guys. So yeah. And look at Andrew Wiggins, how well that worked out. Very true. Made him some money in the long (laughs) run. Chase, anything you have coming up that uh, you're working on article wise? What's up for you post-draft? Can you give the people a little tease on what we can expect from you guys content wise? Well, a, a lot of things, um, but one article I haven't written, I, I got a, a interview with Bradley Beal over the weekend at his uh, charity event, and it's not related to his upcoming free agency, but he had just a really cool quote. I asked him about all these young players and they model their games after Bradley Beal and just kind of the impact he's having on the next generation. And it was like way more honest and revealing than I expected, like just mm-hmm. talking about how um, that kind of makes it all worth it. Like, you know, he hears a lot of the negativity and a lot of critics on social media sure. and uh, just kind of the perspective it gives him. So, I, yeah, look out for that. He hear kind of across the board from all the St. Louis guys and stuff that like Brad is available to them and impactful for them. So that, that's neat to hear that like that means something to him. Yeah, absolutely. I think it kind of uh, showed a, a, a vulnerable side of Bradley Beal that, you know, maybe you don't uh, glean just by watching his games on uh, on TV. I think it's almost a certainty that if someone is listening to this podcast, they already follow uh, follow you on social media. But if they don't, where can people find you? Yeah, you can uh, hit me up at Chase Use NBCS on Twitter, and uh, I appreciate you having me, man. A- anytime, thanks. I guess uh, we'll we'll see how this goes. We'll cross our fingers for Thursday night, and uh, I don't know. It'll be an interesting summer. Hopefully, I see you out there at summer league, and we'll have somebody fun to watch. Absolutely, man. Let's do it. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.